Well, we got some life going in here today. All right. That, that deserves a woo or two. <laughs> Count on third service to specialize in the woos, you know? It's something I love about this service. Well, we are in week two of our summer series called Jesus, Story, uh, Jesus Stories, where we'll be looking at a different parable each week. And by the way, I love Heather. I love Heather to death. And the fact, you know, we've all been there where her, just her mind blanked and, and you're, it felt like 20 minutes to her, those couple of seconds. And then for her to say, I'm so glad I'm ordinary people. Me too. You know, we've all been there and I've got some words written in front of me when I get lost. And for her, I, anyway, it was just kind of warmed my heart. <clears throat> Digression, back we go. We're looking at a different parable each week in Jesus' stories, and this week we'll be exploring the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Not one of the more well-known parables, but it has a lot in it, and I think you'll benefit from our time together this morning. Um, we're calling this the parable of the prepared heart, because that really is the point that Jesus is, uh, is making with this story, how we can develop a heart that is proactively prepared for what God calls us to do and be. Let's not be caught sleeping Let's not find ourselves living our lives, our whole lives, and then ending it with a ton of regret because we didn't do it right. Today I want to read for you this parable of the, of the bridesmaids, and I, I, then I want to spend some time bringing it to life by giving you some of the cultural and historical details that will make it more clear to you. Now you'll notice on your outline on the front page, there's the parable we're going to read, and then there's a blank. That was on purpose. If you want to make any notes there about some of the cultural or historical things that are like, hmm, okay, that makes sense, and then don't panic. On the back side, there's some fill in the blanks, okay? So for some of you, that that's a, an important thing. That's there. So that's on purpose. Now you kind of have your road mapped. Ready to go? Let's take a look at this parable out of Matthew 25. Jesus says this. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were foolish and five were wise. And the five who were foolish, they didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep, all ten of them. And at midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming! Come out and meet him! Well, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, well, we don't have enough. We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, sure enough, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So, Jesus says to them, you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Well, weddings back in that day were very different than they are today. So this is kind of a foreign picture to us, and I want to explain a little bit. In a typical wedding of the day, at that time, the bride was attended to by unmarried bridesmaids before the wedding, a process of getting ready, and it was done in her house, at her family's home there. So in this story, there were 10 bridesmaids, although there is no mention as to how the the bride actually found a bridesmaid dress that looked good on 10 of her closest friends. (laughs) And if you're a woman who's been in that situation, you know what I'm talking about there. You know, that color just doesn't look good on me. 
The bride got ready at her home, and once the bride was all prepared and the bridesmaids were assisting with that, then the bridesmaids would go outside to wait for the groom and his friends to come to the bride's house. Now, the groom and his friends would be coming from the groom's house. If that was close, if it was far, they'd be coming through town, processing. They'd usually come at dusk or slightly thereafter in the early nighttime. And after meeting his bride at his bride's house, they would then do a big fancy processional through the streets back to the groom's house. This would be a big deal. The whole town was usually invited to the wedding, and uh, the whole process would sometimes be a week long. And you can picture them going through the streets after dark, maybe people up on their houses singing music, playing instruments, cheering, you know, all those sorts of things going on. But because the processional was now obviously longer than ours typically, right, just down in center aisle, it was through the streets after nightfall, each uh, nightfall, each bridesmaid was given a torch to carry, was to prepare. She was responsible to carry a torch to light the way. Now, this was meant to add to the celebrative atmosphere, you know, the big party that's going on is all these torches lighting the way on the way back there. But it was also for safety, right? I mean, the bride and the bridegroom needed to be able to see so they didn't trip and fall or get injured. They didn't have the benefit of newly paved, nice, smooth streets. Uh, I was over here at the, the boxcar races, uh, soapbox derby races yeah, a couple weeks ago, and some of those streets are in Nevada City. I mean, they were like whoosh, glass. They had repaved and resurfaced, you know. You could walk there after dark and not worry. You're not going to fall. They didn't have that, right? They didn't have any street lights, you know, electricity, whatever. We're talking dark. We're talking rough roads. And they're depending on these torches to be able to get back safely, Okay. So that's, uh, it was a pretty big deal then, and, uh, and it was one of the most important responsibilities for the bridesmaids, okay? A bunch of us helping get the brides ready, make sure we're looking good, and then let's go outside, and we need to be prepared here. To come up short in this duty was a major failure, and frankly, it just didn't happen. In fact, when Jesus told this story and said five of them blew it, I, I imagine the listeners were kind of going, wait, five of them did what? That's just a no-no. That never happens, you know? Uh, but the bridesmaids, you see, they loved the bride and the groom so much that they weren't going to drop the ball in such a big way. It would really be a massive insult to both the bride and the groom if they didn't do their job carefully and completely. Well, there's some background so you understand kind of this process of what Jesus said happened here. And we want to pull this parable apart a little bit to see how Jesus wants to teach us to have prepared hearts so we can become all that he created us to be. So if you want to flip over your outline, now's the time there. How to have a prepared heart in the context of this parable. First of all, we need to know for sure that Jesus is coming back. We need to know for sure that Jesus is coming back. Now, this first point for having a prepared heart is not a point of activity, okay? This is a point of understanding, but it's really a key foundational truth that God expects us to build our lives upon. You see, this story of Jesus is talking about, uh, in this story, Jesus is talking about the importance of being prepared for an event that will usher in eternity. It's a pretty big deal. It's an event that is a certainty. It's not just an abstract idea or a concept or a possibility. It's absolutely certain. Now, this story I just read is the beginning of Matthew 25. And of course, we've assigned the numbers and verses to kind of help organize things. But it's at that point in the book of Matthew. But when we look in the bigger perspective, all of Matthew 24, and it's a very long chapter before it, Jesus is talking about virtually the same things again and again in various things and ways about the end of the age, focusing really on the second coming of the Messiah. In essence, Jesus is saying, you know, whether they got it or not, he's saying, I'm here the first time, ready or not, but you better be ready the next time, because it's coming. And this is such a big deal that Jesus continues his stories and words of warning and encouragement with this parable. In fact, another one after this one. Jesus is really saying, did you get it? Let me say it again. Did you get that one? Let me tell you another story. Do you get it? Do you get it? This is a big deal. 
If you want to have a prepared, proactive heart for the Lord, we need to know for sure as a foundation that Jesus is coming back. 1 Timothy 4, uh, 16 through 18, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians, it expands upon this concept a little bit. I want to read that to you. It says, For the Lord himself will, he will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. These are certainties, he's saying. Now, to be honest, God wants us to be prepared for more than just the return of the Lord. But we need to know with dead, serious certainty that Jesus absolutely is coming back. And then we need to live our lives in response to that certainty. This is a a foundation that we're going to then build upon. And we'll talk about what that looks like, the building looks like in a few minutes. But we're laying a foundation here. So a prepared heart starts with saying that I know that Jesus is for sure that Jesus is coming back. Well, secondly, to have a prepared heart, we need to know that we don't know when Jesus will return. We don't know when Jesus will return. In fact, no one does. No one does. Now, this is also another foundational point. Uh, This is uh, another point that's not asking for any activity. We're understanding here. But again, key foundational understanding, theology, understanding of God that will affect my life. Because it's been said that belief determines your behavior. And so this is a belief that needs to be a part of our system. Now, This may actually save you from a lot of wasted activity, okay, when you understand this, and it will really help determine the scope and the shape and the timing of your activity. You see, the parable ends with Jesus saying, you don't know the day or hour of my return. And we actually see those exact words again and again throughout Scripture. Remember I said that Jesus in Matthew 24 spoke again and again about the end times, and he mentioned this idea a couple times. Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, almost the same but expands. However, Jesus says, no one knows the day or hour. No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, talking about himself, only the father knows. Jesus, he says, right here and right now, when I walked in the earth in the form of man, he says, God has even hidden this from me. Nobody knows. You getting the idea here? Pretty straight ahead. See, here's the deal. You don't need to have a knee-jerk reaction the next time some bozo, I'm sorry, I mean scholar, predicts the end of the world, okay? I had one person after second service say that was a hard word, and I'm sorry, but it came out again. It's kind of a bozo scholar thing. You don't need to stock up on emergency supplies. You don't need to sell everything you own to prove your loyalty and faith in Jesus, you know, while you wait for that mystical, magical day that's coming up in a week or whatever. You'd actually be demonstrating that you don't believe the Bible when you do that, and that you put more faith in the predictions of man than you do in the word of God. Do you understand that? Because if you, if you have ears to hear and you did hear what we're talking about here, I just read in Matthew 24 and again in Matthew 25 in this parable, no one knows. Is that clear? Read my lips. No one knows. In fact, I feel pretty good when someone predicts a specific date. I pretty much know it's not going to happen then because no one knows. Now, could Jesus come for us in a week or two? Sure he could. He absolutely could. The issue is simply that we aren't going to know. We aren't going to know about it ahead of time. So don't waste your time trying to predict it or entertain others that are predicting it. But another mistake that you can make, and don't do this, is also don't pretend like it can't happen anytime soon. Okay? Because you'd end up being like the foolish bridesmaids in this parable, and they weren't prepared, and that could be tragic, right? 
We don't need to go too far in this one direction, but don't let's sit here and say, oh, it's kind of an idea. I don't know. It's sometime way down there. Maybe it's just an idea, and if it's coming. I mean, it's been 2,000 years since this appeared in Scripture. It easily could be thousands more. No big deal. It's out there somewhere. Well, if you want to have a properly prepared and proactive heart, you believe that Jesus is coming back for sure, and also believe that no one knows when that will be, but it's coming. What should our course of action be? Because this is our foundation now. This is understanding that we say we need to build my lifestyle, my activity upon this. What should that be? Well, let's point through on your outline. Number three in a developing a prepared heart is to don't be foolish. Be wise and watchful. Okay? Trade the foolishness in for, wise, uh, for wisdom and watchfulness. If you want to have a prepared heart, we need to be wise and watchful, not foolish. The bridesmaids that didn't have enough oil... You'll see here in, this, in, the, in the verses that we read out of Matthew 25, Scripture says that they were foolish. Now, it doesn't say that they were evil or that they were rebellious necessarily, but definitely it says they were foolish. And I wonder what they would say if we were to ask them, why didn't you bring more oil? I mean, this is basic bridesmaid 101 here, right? This is what you're supposed to do. So what were you thinking? You know, you get one of them aside. What were you thinking? And, and you'd ask them, and I wonder if they would answer a lot like my young kids answer when I asked them why they did something foolish. I don't know, right? That good, that good, a brilliant answer, but it lacks a little something, don't you think? I don't know. I mean, is that the best you can do? I don't know. But I guess that's what being foolish is all about, right? Not thinking ahead, not seeing the big picture, not, not being wise and watch, watchful. Now, we don't know when Jesus is coming again, but we do know that we're called to be ready in every way possible as if Jesus was coming tomorrow, that's what we're called to do. And that means being wise and watchful. Now, that concept of wise and watchful, what does that mean? I've broken it into kind of three parts so we can really grab a hold of it more carefully. The first part of that, being wise and watchful, this involves hard work. Okay, write it down. Hard work. I wish I could have said hard play, right? Because that's kind of more of our, that, that, that sounds like more fun. Uh, but it doesn't. This being wise and watchful involves hard work here, and it's, it's a reality. Now, the bridesmaids at the time, they had to get their torches together, right? Not only get the bride ready, not get the, you know, their own stuff, their own outfits and all that stuff ready, but then they had to get their torches, find the right stuff, wrap them with rags of cloth or leather. They get dipped in oil, and then they need to get extra oil because after time it's going to burn out. You know, it's not like flip the light switch, right? It's not a flashlight or a portable lantern or something. This is a torch. And so they had to lug along enough oil to keep the torches lit and burning until the groom came, whenever that was. Okay? Now, in this story, half of the bridesmaids did the hard work and half of them did not. And it wasn't the kind of work that they could share amongst themselves. I mean, the five who did have enough oil, who did the hard work, they were not being selfish when they didn't share their oil. I mean, you kind of read that story and you're like, well, gosh, five did. And then the five came to and they were like, forget it. <laughs> no, that's not what's happening. They're not being selfish. They simply understand, I have enough oil to do the job that I've been called to do so that I can fulfill my role. Now, we have a choice here. We can either have five, not ten, but five fully lit torches to see us safely and celebratively to the groom's house, or we can have, have maybe ten kind of flickering, going, out torches that don't quite make it all the way. Bummer there, right? So I need to, I need to do my job. And so, you know, you need to go find some oil. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it is. So it wasn't something that was rude that was done there. They, they just had to be sure they had enough to do their job. Well, Philippians 2 talks about the hard work concept here for us. And I want to read that to you. Philippians 2 verse 12, second half says, work hard. There it is. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. 
Now notice that this verse doesn't say work hard to earn your salvation. That's a very different thing. In fact, that, that's a sign of a, I'll be honest, of a cult, of a, of a misbelieving and a non-Bible teaching church that says you have to earn your salvation because you can't earn your salvation. Scripture makes it clear it comes by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God, nothing that we can do to work for it. Okay, so it doesn't say work for your salvation. You simply receive that when you say, I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I want you in my heart and in my life. Take me. And God says, it's yours. But it does say work hard to show the results of your salvation, okay? God's saying, once I've given you salvation and the Holy Spirit comes inside to live inside of you, to give you new desires and new power to accomplish all I've called you to, then be sure to work hard to show the fact that you're saved. Demonstrate the Holy Spirit in you. Let him work in and through you to show, to demonstrate what a saved life looks like, what someone who's becoming more and more like Jesus looks like, right? Do you catch the difference there? Be sure to work hard to show the fact that you're saved. Allow the Holy Spirit to motivate you and strengthen you so you can work hard for the kingdom. Now listen to this, this is key. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Okay, is that, is that understood? You don't have to, you get to. It's a privilege to be a bridesmaid for Jesus, right? Now I struggle with this a little bit as a guy bridesmaid. I got to be honest, the whole, this whole concept of Christ and the church, this, the, the love and the union there, when you talk about Christ as the groom and the church as the bride and gals, you go, oh, but as guys, we go, oh, oh, and you know, it, it, I get the idea there, but it's kind of, so when I see bridesmen, I kind of go, bridesman. Oh, yeah, okay, it feels better for me here, but it's a privilege to be a bridesmaid or a bridesman, you know, so your masculinity can be fulfilled there. It's a privilege to do it. I want you to understand this. Jesus says he looks around over in a sense that the choices are happening. He says, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I, I choose you. And you're like, me? I, I get to be a bridesmaid or bridesman for you, for Jesus. You're, choo- you're choosing me? Cool. What an honor to be chosen by Jesus himself to be a part of the wedding party. What do I get to do? I get to help him. You know, I, I, get, I get to do a torch. I'm going to get the biggest, best torch I can do and carry 10,000 gallons. All right. What a privilege it is. Oh, what a bummer. I have to be a bridesmaid. I got to do some silly torch. And then I gotta go. Hello? Right? You understand this? So when we talk about hard work. It's not the crack the whip. Oh, I hate that this is awful. Although hard work is still work, isn't it? But the motivation behind it is not that I have to, but that I get to. I don't have to do it to earn my salvation. I don't have to do it to prove that I'm saved, but I get to do it to demonstrate that Jesus is becoming more and more alive in me and more and more real in my life. Oh, that's good stuff. It's a privilege to be a bridesmaid or man for Jesus. And that involves doing some good hard work. Now, this hard work includes character building, okay? This, this is not just, okay, I've got to do a list of to-dos for Jesus. It, a lot of it is internal things, character building. It's conforming to the image of Jesus himself. And it's the kind of work that everybody has to do with God on their own. What I mean by that is you can't sponge off someone else's developing character and benefit from their growth, work, and sacrifice. Oh, we can learn from each other, but I can't just sit by and go, gosh, he's getting really compassionate. (laughs) I got some of that too. It doesn't work that way, does it? Okay? It doesn't work that way. You can't borrow someone else's oil. You got to prepare for yourself, and you have to do the work yourself. So it is some work to prepare. But isn't it funny how we so easily work to prepare for a future career? 
through education and maybe apprenticeships. You know, here's a young person who's coming up through college, and okay, I got to go to college, and I got to do this in order to get that job. Oh, it's hard work, but I'm going to do it because I want to. Maybe some of us, some of you are in the midst of a job change, or you want to get trained for a better job or something else. And so you're going to night school, or you're doing online classes. What's happening? Are you working hard? Yeah, I'm working hard because I got to get that job, or I need to, you know, whatever. And so this is hard work, and this just understood. And why do we go through all that work? Because we want to be prepared. I want to be prepared to get that job and do the best that I can. It's just a course. And we prepare for the birth of a child, right? I mean, I got to, my wife and I got to do that five times, both to take care of Debbie physically and all that stuff and, and then getting things ready for the baby ahead of time because if you wait till they're born, it's too late. <laughs> what? Do you have a car seat? You know, that kind of thing. It's tough to get him home from the hospital. So there's preparation involved in having a baby. It's in, in buying a house and in having surgery. There's things we do to prepare for significant things. And we do the hard work because it's worth it. And there's no question. We don't question it, right? We do it. So why is it that working hard to develop our spiritual lives can be so difficult? That can just happen. You know, it's, it's the most important preparation of all, and yet not carve, and, excuse me, and yet carving out time to spend in intimate relationship with Jesus so he can rub off on us and, and have his way in us, it's so easily overlooked, and it's so easily postponed sometimes. And yet we have a finite amount of time, don't we? That's what the parable's talking about saying we postpone this thing and, and the reality is there's hard work to be done and we have a finite amount of time. Jesus is coming. The groom is coming. Are you, are you ready? Are you prepared now? Being wise and watchful means some hard work through the power of the Holy Spirit, but doing our part. And secondly, being wise and watchful, it involves focus. This involves focus. This is so important. You see, in order to work hard and stay watchful and alert, we have to maintain our focus. You see, you can get all pumped up here, you know, at church this morning, and the Pastor John's up front and getting fired, you know, and so you're going to charge out the ready to get your churches all primed and oiled up, you know? So, you know, you've got your spare oil all set, and you're ready to go. I'm ready for the groom, you know? I'm ready for, the, I'm ready for Jesus no matter how long it takes. You know, I'm the bridesmaid bridesman. I'm ready to go no matter how long it takes. No matter how long it takes. No matter how long it takes. And then your mind starts to wander, Right? Your focus kind of waver, and your focus gets a little cloudy, and you get a little distracted, and before you know it, you're cooking tacos with your extra oil. Hmm. These are pretty good tacos. Glad I had this oil with me, you know? You forgot all about why you had it, because your focus kind of left here, and all of a sudden, it became a, a meal opportunity. It happens, doesn't it? Our focus kind of gets wavy, and all of a sudden, our purposes and, our, and everything changes. 1 Peter 5, 8 is an in-your-face uh, in verse here that says this, be alert. Hey, 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 Some of you are like, huh? That's the verse I'm talking about. Be alert, he's saying. Be alert and of sober mind. This is serious. Right here. Psst. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion <laughs> looking for someone to devour. I'm alert now. That's what's going on. Be alert, be sober-minded, the devil. Focus is a key part of a prepared heart, men and women, and we need to be ready to do battle with the devil himself in order to keep and maintain that focus, to keep our focus on track, to keep ourselves locked in and sharp. Now, my family loves going, and we go a lot to the Pioneer Park pool, and there's a large staff of lifeguards there that do a great job. You know, they, they do their job well, and um, they do a great job not only of lifeguarding, but of demonstrating the importance of focus. 
You see, as is the case at that pool, at most pools and beaches where there's multiple lifeguards involved, there's something that is done very regularly and very, uh, when I say religiously, meaning it's a very important thing. You see, every so often, whatever that determined time is, it might be a 15 or 20 at the most 30-minute period of time, they rotate through their positions. And so the deep-in lifeguard moves to the shallow-in spot, and the shallow-in lifeguard moves to, the, to maybe the mid-pool spot, and the mid-pool lifeguard goes to the snack shop, you know, for a shift or whatever. That's kind of a nice one. A little snack time or something will break. And they do that every so many minutes on the clock, and, and that happens regularly. It's because they know that when you stay too long in one place, looking at the same thing, sitting in the same position, you lose focus, right? Your perspective dulls, and though you care, you care about being a good lifeguard, you're no longer razor sharp in your focus, right? It just kind of happens. You kind of, you're here, you're ready, okay, you move to your new spot, okay, here's my blind spot, oh, that, there's that lifeguard's blind spot, I'm going to watch that carefully, and okay, I've, okay, there's a young one, he doesn't look like he swims so well, I'm going to keep a special eye here, and 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 minutes go by, and what happens? You know, I'm not just saying you're falling asleep, it just kind of becomes same place, same thing, right? You kind of start losing focus. So what happens? 20 minutes, whatever, time to move. New guy comes in, you go to here, you go to here. Oh, new chair. Gosh, this chair's a little bumpy here, you know. Or go to the snack shop and coming out of the snack shop, son, because we're going to keep you moving. Why? Because moving and change helps me keep my focus there, okay? When you move, you give yourself fresh eyes and new watchfulness and alertness, and that allows you to refocus on what's important. And in this case, we're talking about keeping people safe, right? So that leads me to ask you today, what do you need to do to keep yourself focused on Jesus? What do you need to do? Because nothing kills focus like drab routine and repetition, right? Same place, same thing. Are you stuck in a place of drab routine and and repetition in, in your spiritual life with Jesus? Is your prayer life a little bit monotonous at this point? You know, is your Bible reading dull and infrequent and... Are your glimpses of the face of God few and far between? I I ran across those two places in the Psalms a bunch of years ago, and they stuck out to me for the first time I'd read them, but it said to me, I seek your face, Lord. And I'm used to seeking God's hand, you know, the things that he does. I'm used to, to seeking the word of God, the things that he says. Those things are familiar, but here's the psalmist, David, in his most intimate moment saying, God, I love your hand. I love, I love the things you do. I love the things you say, but I want to see you. I want to get inside you, and it's through the eyes. It's through the face. I know the Bible says I can't see your face. I don't care. I want to see it anyway, even if it takes me to heaven in a moment, because I care that much. Are you getting glimpses of God's face? Are you seeking glimpses of God's face? Do you dare do that? And the glimpses that you get now and then, are they kind of out of focus? A little bit? It's about focus, folks. Have you lost your focus? And if so, what do you need to do to regain that focus, to refocus? What do you need to change? Maybe it's getting somebody around you. accountability partner is going to get in your face to help encourage and to promote and to to support you through that. I I don't know what it is, but folks, it's too important to say I'm going to sit in the same lifeguard chair and pretend that I'm an effective lifeguard and never, ever, 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 ever change even after my focus is lost. It's too important because God says be wise and be watchful and that means to work hard and it means also it involves big time focus. Well, our third be wise and watchful point, this involves right living and right priorities. Right living and right priorities. Now, I have so much to say about this in so little time, so I just want to summarize it with this thought. 
if the bridesmaids in this story, if they knew, if they knew that the groom was coming in exactly one hour, they would have all been prepared. I mean, probably, right? Do I have enough oil for an hour? I mean, it's pretty straight, straight, clear right there. And if you knew, you yourself today knew that Jesus was coming very soon. Let's say you knew that Jesus was coming for us in exactly three days. In exactly three days. Today's Sunday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what's that? It's so the 13th, 6 o'clock, Jesus is coming. I don't know whether this is the end of the world or if he's just going to come to a visit to your house, but Jesus is coming to see you in three days. 6 p.m. on Wednesday, 6 p.m., it's right there. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let me ask you, would you change your schedule in the next three days? Your calendar? I mean, take a look at it in your mind. Eh, I might change a few things. Would you change your lifestyle? I got three days till Jesus is here. Would you clean your house? <laughs> Would you suddenly shift your priorities in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon and, 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 and we want to be ready? Well, I think so. I don't, I don't want to embarrass Jesus with my lifestyle, so I think maybe I'll even cancel some of those extra satellite or cable channels I have. You know, they sometimes aren't really the healthiest. Not that I watch them much, but, you know, and, and I'll start watching a lot less TV. I mean, it's only three days after all, and I don't want to waste any time because it's three days, and and I'll make sure I tithe this week at church. I mean, I've been meaning to do that for quite some time. It just never happens quite as regularly as I intend, but <laughs> Jesus come in three days, and he, just in case he wants to look at my checkbook, I want him to you know, see that I did that. And, and I may toss a few little things that I have around the house, maybe a little bit of alcohol that I have. Not that all alcohol is bad. I just don't want Jesus to think that I'm an alcoholic or anything. I don't want him to give him the wrong idea. And I think I'll be sure to have some good Bible and prayer times in the next three days, maybe even two-a-days. Ah, right? And I know I'll spend some time with my neighbors telling them about Jesus. I've been putting that off a bit, too. <laughs> there always seems like there's plenty of time to get to something like that in the future, you know? Neighbors will be there, and there's time. I know it's important, but there's time. There's plenty of time. What, there's only three days left? I've got to get busy. I got only three days. Folks, would your schedule and would your priorities and would your lifestyle change in the next three days if you knew that Jesus was coming in to you at 6 p.m. on Wednesday? Mine would. Uh, just true confessions. And we have to honestly ask ourselves, does my lifestyle reflect a wise and watchful heart? And do my priorities reflect the heart of Jesus? Do they make Jesus proud of me or would I be embarrassed if Jesus came to visit me today and saw the condition of my life? If I knew in one hour Jesus was coming to my house, driving up and whatever he's coming in <laughs> and knocking on the door, holy cow, I've got an hour, you know, what do we do? I wish I had more time. Really? How much time do you need? And why do we need more time? Because Jesus is already there. But we also know there's opportunity in front of us. Matthew 6.33, a verse I learned many years ago, is right to the point on this. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Isn't that right, priorities? Above all else, that's a priority. Seek the kingdom of God and live righteously. Well, that's right living. We talked about that, right priorities and right living. It's right here. Seek the kingdom of God, priorities, above all else, and live righteously and God will give you everything you need. You see, we focus on the things that we need or the things we think we need. No, we got it backwards. Right priorities and right living says, seek him and his purposes, and he's going to provide the rest. That's 
right priorities and right living. And it's the final way to be wise and watchful so that so we can develop a prepared heart that's prepared to love and serve and honor him today. Can honor and serve him today whether he comes in three days or in three decades. I want to live today in the next three days as if he's coming on Wednesday. Would my life be different in the next three days? Would your life be different? Could it be different? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to, um, to speak and study, speak on this parable and to study this parable because uh, even this morning as I spoke in each service, God, you stirred my heart to say, I've got some changes to make, not out of guilt, not out of fear, not out of shame, but simply saying, am I living each, each moment and each day as if this is it? And, and so I want to make the most of every opportunity and I want to I do it not because I feel guilty or because I have to, Lord, but because I love you. And I want to be prepared and I want to be focused and I want to be wise and watchful and I want you to maximize yourself in me. Lord, I want to join in with your Holy Spirit's agenda in my heart and in my life. With my family, with my personal ministry, with my friends, with my church. Father, I also just want to uh, thank you for your forgiveness because I fall so short and we find ourselves there, Lord. We just confess that to you. We're not as prepared. More often than not, maybe we're one of the five foolish bridesmaids, Lord. And I thank you that even when I don't have enough oil, that you still love me and forgive me. And you give me opportunity to go stock up on the oil. Lord, may we change. May we choose to live differently because we know that you love us and that you call us to your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.